It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hi, welcome to the show. My guest today is Deb Calvert, president of People First Productivity Solutions an author of a great series of books called The Discover Questions, uh, which I heartily recommend that people read. Deb, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Andy, thanks for having me on the program. Well, it's my pleasure. So uh, before we get started, tell people where they can find you online. The company name is People First Productivity Solutions, as you said, and we use the acronym People First PS, the last two letters uh, as an acronym, just to save space. So the website People First PS, uh, find me on Twitter at that same handle. Okay, perfect. So rather than have me go through and read some set bio that you sent me about yourself, please take a minute, introduce yourself to the audience, tell us what you do, and who do you do it for? Oh, thank you. Well, um, as you said, I'm the author of Discover Questions, Get You Connected, and we also have a workshop by the same name, and that is based on 20 years of research with buyers. So we learned about um, what buyers are thinking, what they're looking for, and found ways to, to break through barriers in selling to today's empowered buyers. Mm -hmm. On top of that, I'm a certified master with the Leadership Challenge. Um, that's an evidence-based framework for exemplary leadership. And there are about 30 years of global research behind the Leadership Challenge, which is written by Jim Cousis and Barry Posner. Mm -hmm. And what we know from those two things together is that uh, there's a, a shift, a shift that we could really uh, radically put out there to, to help sellers if they would just stop selling and start leading. Okay. Well, we're going to get into that after our break today. So but I want to start first with a question for you. So, yeah, how did you get into sales? It's um, one of those crooked paths, like so many people will, will tell you their stories about. Um, I, I think I was actually destined to, to be a seller. My parents had me out with my little red wagon selling vegetables when I was just a kid. Now, where, was, was, where was this? Uh, near Kansas City, Missouri. Okay. All right. So selling what, corn or... Uh, we would grow all kinds of things, but tomatoes, cucumbers, green peppers, the standard backyard fare. Mm -hmm. And I, I learned a lot of good selling lessons early on. I also became a, a champion salesperson by about the age of, of 9 or 10 and had a long running streak selling campfire candy and being the top salesperson every year. <laughs> I remember those campfire candy. That brings back a blast from the past. Just a dollar a box at the time. Absolutely. So that was my sales background. And then I went to school for journalism and ended up with a journalism degree and wanted to find a job, any job I could at a newspaper. So the Kansas City Star hired me to take classified ads. This is back in the day when the classified sections of newspapers were, were great big. And people called in these ads. They did. It was all inbound marketing. And uh, we didn't have to do any outbound. So it was easy, but it was still selling the upsell and uh, being able to understand the, the needs of the, the customer. So I was honing those skills, waiting for my, my big break to be able to move into the newsroom. And I found out pretty quickly that I actually really liked selling and I started to get promoted pretty rapidly. Uh, looking back, I know why I liked it. And Which I know was? What, what attracted me to journalism too. It's that I just love asking questions and using that skill whether it be through journalism or through selling, that's really satisfying to me. Hmm. Very interesting. So where'd you go from there? 
up the ladder. So uh, several sales jobs later, and then I became major sales and then a sales manager. I moved into an operations role because I was being groomed for the, the next level roles, GM and publisher. Sales training had, had been a part of that mix, but overseeing operations, that was everything that was the back end of selling. Mm-hmm. Eventually, that earned me a, a promotion, not in Kansas City any longer after 16 years, but with a Fortune 500, uh, Knight Ritter. Mm-hmm. And so I moved out to San Jose and oversaw uh, training and development across the 31 markets that, that were a part of the family. Interesting. Yeah, because, oh, gosh, yeah, I remember they had a, like I said, San Jose Mercury News was a Knight Ritter newspaper. Yes, um, some very big ones. Philadelphia, uh, Charlotte, Miami, Fort Worth, these were all Knight Ritter papers. Yeah, I remember early in my career dealing with uh, technology executives from Knight Ritter because we were selling communication systems that most of the major news organizations used for communicating with their affiliates, I guess would be the best way of saying it, or their remote newspapers. And yeah, Knight Ritter seemed fairly advanced in that whole thing. Well, at the time, they were the second largest media company in the country, Hmm. and they were breaking a lot of ground. So uh, digital and otherwise, they were at the forefront but they also saw the writing on the wall. So when the opportunity came to make a sale uh, about nine years ago, they they did that, and that's when I struck out on my own. Oh, got it. So what was your mission then that you thought you were going after when you started your company? I had been burned. So in the corporate role and in in seeing this happen to other people, I, I realized that many companies put profit and process and product ahead of people. So my mission was... How can I help companies? How can I help them to build organizational strength by putting people first? And hence the name People First Productivity Solutions. Mm -hmm. And how do you do that? Through uh, building leaders and building sales teams, because that's where my expertise is. But really, those are the engines behind any company. If you look at it from the people perspective, you have to have great leadership. And by golly, you better have a good sales team. And when you develop the people in those two places... You're going to make it. You're going to do all kinds of wonderful. Well, when you're working with clients it's, and you see this as a problem, right? That, that perhaps the people aren't being put first. Well, what's, it's true. What's, what's the mindset you're changing with CEOs? What's, what's the work you have to do with them, with an entrepreneur or somebody that's, you know, quite about- as focused on maybe the top line, the bottom line, not as focused on the people and the role they play in making that happen? Well, it's that grind. And you can recognize this when I do rehabilitative work with an organization. It's because they've lost sight of developing their people, taking care of their people, helping their people to uh, continually grow because the capacity of any job needs to grow. And instead, they're focused on the numbers and they're cracking the whip. And they are so quick to um, make these judgments about who has high potential and who doesn't. And uh, how do we just burn and churn through people? But pretty soon, it wears out the culture, not just the, the people who are left behind, but, but the culture overall begins to really suffer, and the company stagnates when that happens. Right. So what's that mindset change that you work with with an executive or executive team? Because, you know, small companies, you know, employee development always sort of seems like a, a luxury to them, right? Especially in sales and or in leadership capacity. It is. So, so how, do you make, how do you make that case to them that you know, this mindset needs to change and, and the steps they should take? It's about the long term. And so being able to think about, and, and this is tough, especially with publicly held companies that have all the shareholder pressures, but it's about changing the mindset to think beyond this quarter 
or this year. But, but these people who work for you, what are they going to be able to do in one year, two years? And how about your bench strength? And what happens when, when you leave? And what's your legacy? And, and those kinds of questions help them begin to see that they do need to build from within. And then I throw a little research in there. Uh, we know from, from Burson and Deloitte and others that the number one human capital need of, of all organizations is leadership development. And what that means is that if you're not developing inside your organization the, the next generation of leaders, that you're going to have a hard time going somewhere else because everybody's having the same problem. You, you can't beg, borrow, or steal if there are no good leaders being built anywhere. And so what's your take on are good leaders made or built or born, I guess? Excuse me. Well, uh, you know, every single leader is born. <laughs> so true. Uh, that's true. And every really good leader is also made because it's a conscious choice to be a leader. And I, I believe this straight out of the research of, of Jim Cousis and Barry Posner. There are these 30 specific behaviors. Anybody who consciously chooses to step into their role to liberate the leader inside themselves will just turn up the dial. They will more frequently behave in these 30 distinct ways. All right. We're going to get into that in just a bit. So you run your own business. I mean, you're CEO, you're a salesperson, you know, wearing multiple hats there. What keeps you awake at night in terms of what your own sales and your own company's needs? For me, it's always the, the struggle between what should I not do? I, I'm pretty curious and I like to engage in a lot of different things and saying no to something that, that interests me, um, that's very difficult. And it's a, a constant sorting. I've, I've put it on my calendar now once a month to deliberately decide what I'm not going to do. And it's a painful process. Mm. Yeah, especially if there are opportunities presenting themselves. So give us a tip. You know, what, what do you evaluate? How do you analyze the opportunities to, in order to say no to them? What are the criteria you're using? Well, I'm looking first at where can I make a difference because that really does matter to me. And making a difference, I, I've been in business long enough to recognize some of the, the signs. Let's say it's the frontline management or maybe even the, the next level up who want to bring me in. But the CEO or the, the C-suite isn't really buying into this whole idea of people first. And if it's going to be business as usual, driven down from the top, I'll generally choose not to take that assignment because mm -hmm. it's only going to impair my brand and I won't feel like I've been able to make that difference I, I want to make. So that's criteria number one is the willingness and readiness of the whole organization to be able to make a shift. Mm -hmm. The other criteria are generally more uh, situational. So how much am I traveling right now and do I really want another client on the East Coast, for example? Or do I have the capacity as, as I look at my coaching roster, uh, right now I've got these commitments, is it fair to take on another client at this time or should I m make a referral to someone else who could devote more quality time? Mm -hmm. So can you frame those in the context of, let's say, a salesperson who's you know, making similar choices in terms of how they're going to allocate their time? You bet. I have a rule for that, and it's effort equals opportunity. So you've got to define the kinds of opportunities that you want. In sales, perhaps it's that you want to land the big account instead of five smaller ones. Whatever it is, the opportunity that you're strategically going after, that's where you put your effort, and you don't let your focused effort get diluted by things that maybe you ought not be doing because they don't serve the opportunities as well. Like the shiny bauble that looks like the opportunity that just is too good to be true, perhaps. Yes. And whatever you do, it is going to require time. 
and it is going to take time away from something else. So just at a minimum, being aware that that's the case and, and that you're making a deliberate choice. And then how about for CEO? Let's say have a small, mid-sized company. To make those choices. Mm -hmm. um, well, because I, I believe this to be absolutely true, when you're making those choices, where do I focus my time and energy? Number one is about your people. It's about this long term. It's not about the, uh, the short term, the what's going to satisfy whoever's barking today. But long term, what will serve the interests of this organization? And when you look through that lens, it's almost always about the, the genuine leadership, the, the people building sorts of activities. So I recommend that as the number one criteria. Mm -hmm. And do companies, I mean, I know you work with a range of types of companies. I mean, big companies, it seems to me, really have more process, more budget to be able to budget for this type of, of activity in terms of leadership development and people development in general. It's true. How do, you, Although how, I, how do small and mid-sized companies really sort of deal with this? I mean, what's, what's sort of best practice that you're seeing out there for really the ones that are a little more progressive? Not, and I don't mean necessarily just the you know, venture-funded startups that uh, you know, have access to more capital, um, but you know, traditional sort of small business that's built themselves from the ground up and, and now are going through some growing pains, and this becomes an important topic for them. Yeah, so the principles are the same. And I have worked with large international companies, and that requires training a lot of leaders. And I've worked with small family-owned businesses where it's just a couple of people who are steering the ship. And the good news for them is that they're more nimble. They mm -hmm. are able to make shifts much more easily. Uh, and it's all about stepping into the, the role that you have as a leader, whether there are 100 of you across the organization or two of you in your small business, the impact that you can have when you behave as a leader. And even I should even take that down one level. I work, when I coach individual sales reps, I work on exactly this same thing, to begin thinking as a leader and behaving as a leader with your buyer instead of a seller. So you can make a difference even if it's just in your own very small circle. All right. We're leading into a break here. I'm going to ask you a question before we go into the break, and you're going to answer it when we come back. So the question is this. You're a manager being brought into a company that's you know, sort of stagnant in terms of sales, maybe even the organizationally. What are the two things you would do in the first week that could have the biggest impact? Mm, good question. I'll All think right. about it. All right. You think about it. So stay with us. After the break, Deb Calvert's going to come back, give us the answer to this, this tough question, share her secrets with us on how to quickly amp up your business, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. So welcome back. My guest today is Deb Calvert, president of People First Productivity Solutions and author of the great series of books called The Discover Questions, really using questions to drive how you engage with your, your prospects and your customers. So before the break, we asked you a question. Your manager, new to a company, got a mandate to make some change. What two things would you do in the first week that would have the biggest impact? I, I love this question because so many managers jump in. They were brought in to make a change. 
they've got uh, this opportunity, they may think, to prove themselves, and so they just come in full speed ahead. And my advice, my, my two things I would suggest that they do are actually the opposite of that. My first piece of advice would be take a very humble approach. And what I mean by that is open yourself up to watch and listen and observe the organization, the culture, the people, the pace, the customers, so that you are able to integrate more smoothly. And when you introduce change, you will do it respectfully and be more effective because the old maxim is true. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So that humility, that openness to learning and to understanding that the organization has good to offer, it's not all you. That's number one. Number two goes hand in hand with that, and, and it's to connect, um, to build bonds with, with people, human to human. Again, so that you'll be able to be more effective when it's time to make those changes, you'll understand the ways to do it uh, more gracefully and more effectively, and you won't be alienating people as you go. These are not skills that, that a lot of managers bring to the table because this is about thinking more like a leader. So, so managers, they come with their technical skills and they've got the business acumen and they know the, the things to do to drive toward profit and, and to, to cut expenses and to improve processes. And if they do all of that first, they've put the cart before the horse and people may not get behind all of those efforts and changes. So you need your people first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they need to be... Absolutely. They need to be enlisted and enrolled in the process, right? Whatever that process turns out to be, they need to be enlisted because I think you've experienced, I've experienced, we've seen it multiple times with clients or in our own career is, is you know, a form of passive resistance to change um, can stall any effort to change an organization. I agree. Absolutely. And, and it's, a, it, it's a human state, homeostasis. We, we don't want to change anyway. So in order to make a change, we want to be inspired, and a leader has to inspire us knowing us because we're all individually motivated and inspired. So why not take that week and, and really just soak in what's already going on there? Yeah, and I think if you're perhaps too quick to start cutting and chopping and so on, that um, you know, you're assuming that everybody's the problem and not everybody's the problem, right? Right. Yeah, you'll throw the baby out with the bathwater. Exactly. I've seen it happen. I know you have too. Yeah, so let's talk about this new initiative you're working on called Stop Selling and Start Leading. So fill us in on that. I am on a mission. Um, and <laughs> I want to start a movement. A woman I, on a mission. Yes. What I mean by this is all of those things that, that have changed, we know what they are, the, the ways that buyers have changed and how empowered they are by easier access to more choices. And we also know that, that sellers have been slow to adapt. So what that means is that buyers have the power in most buyer-seller relationships. And the funny thing is, Andy, that when we talk to buyers, they don't even necessarily want that power. They're happy to share it or even to abdicate it, but only to a seller that they feel they can really entrust that power to. Right. And that's a seller who's strong enough to lead them through a, a purchasing experience instead of merely conducting a, a self-serving transaction with them. Mm -hmm. So... What is it then that sellers have to do to be more effective with buyers? It's that they have to lead and they have to adopt the role of, of leadership. This has nothing to do with job title, but it has to do with these behaviors because we know what leaders do is they operate within their own values, for example. Sometimes sellers don't. That's why we have all these, these stereotypes out there. 
uh, and leaders inspired, they don't just pitch a product. They don't say the same thing over and over again to everyone they talk to. They literally inspire. That means they breathe life into whatever they're talking about to, to whomever they're talking to. And we also know that, um, that, that really good sellers lead by challenging. They mm -hmm. challenge whatever mindset the buyer may be in that sticks them in the status quo. And as they're inspiring, they're also challenging. They're stirring things up. And buyers love that because that's the experience that, that creates value for them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And on top of that, they, they bring their buyers in. This, this, everything we're hearing about collaboration and co-creating insights, well, we've got to enable our buyers to be able to participate at that level. And that means it's not going to be one-sided. So it's a, a, a shift, a, a different mindset to encourage and enable them in those ways. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think that salespeople need to inspire the customer to take the journey with them. And that's a fault, well, let's say a failing, let's say, on, on parts of many salespeople is they look at it as just something I sell to the customer, not this is a process we do together. Yes. And buyers really don't tolerate it anymore. They'll, they'll do anything at all possible to keep the seller at bay. And they miss out when they do that. So we can serve our buyers so much better if we step into the role of leader. Yeah. Well, I think in those cases where there's products and services where salespeople are unable to inspire the buyer, I think in large part is driven by the fact that maybe the products have become so commoditized and so rote and the ability to purchase them online or or without really sales intervention, that you know they don't need the sales people in those cases. I agree, and that's going to be if it's truly that commoditized, and there's nothing that can be done about it, and there aren't any selections that can be made, and and there's no relationship needed with the organization. Those are going to be transactional sales, mm -hmm. and and I'm not looking to um, to mess that up because companies they know how to pull those levers on pricing and value adds and whatnot to, well, right. to do that. And my point was, I think that what's going to happen is that salespeople sort of create that situation, right? If, if you're a, a buyer and you're in a certain market segment and uniformly you find that your sellers aren't able to provide any value, aren't challenging, aren't inspiring, you're going to say, well, there's no value in that channel. I'm going to find a way to buy this product that, to use one of my favorite words, disintermediates the salesperson, right? Takes the salesperson out of the equation. It so sure I think, does. I, I think salespeople actually create that scenario uh, more I, than they think. It's not just necessarily the forces of technology that do it. I really think that salespeople, sellers, you know, all up and on chain, you know, everybody has responsibility, not just salespeople, managers and, and executives, is that if you're not committed to, as you said, challenging, inspiring, deliver the value that helps the customer move from point A to point B in a way, a very informed way, perhaps a different way than they, they had conceived originally, they'll find a way to do it without you. It's true. And you're right that, that sellers do create commoditization. So uh, coming from the newspaper background that I have, I've worked with over 350 media companies. And that's a, an industry where there's been a, a wholesale change. And it's all about the commoditization of advertising. Mm -hmm. Lots of choices that are out there. Frankly, advertisers, by and large, don't really understand. I'm, I'm talking about the ones that don't have agencies to help them. But uh, most advertisers don't fully understand the difference between, say, newspaper, radio, cable TV, billboard advertising. To them, it's, it's all the same. It's just advertising. It's commoditized. And that's why throughout the industry, people are talking about price, getting beat up on price, and lowering their prices but still losing sales. The classic formula for being able to recognize commoditization. Mm -hmm. And they did create that 
because they didn't fully understand the value of their own products. They, they uh, allowed the marketplace to begin to dictate to them what the price ought to be because they didn't defend the value. Yeah, and I, absolutely. And leadership, as you talk about, to my way of thinking, I think you guys are right on, is, is really the path out of that sort of miasma of, of commoditization. Because in my experience, working with a lot of small companies, both as you know, a service provider to them, a consultant, as well as working for the startups I did, is a lot of times startups I worked for, we were selling large, complex communication systems that cost millions of dollars, and we were competing against all of the brand names that you would expect in that field, and we were nothing. Yet, how did we win? Well, we won through leadership, right? We won through inspiring the customer that there was a, a better way to look at the problem than they were looking at it. As a result, they get a better outcome if they chose a different path. And convincing the customer the value of choosing that other path set us apart, but you know, it was sales value that was being created there. Absolutely. And, and this does come down to the individual seller, which is why you can't just say we need leadership at the top of sales organizations. In the moment when those choices are being made, the seller does have to lead one-to-one with that buyer. It seems like that's hard to train, is it? I mean, I, I, I've sat through presentations where people talked, you know, and obviously one of the big books in the last several years in the whole sales business has been the challenger sale, and you talked about challenge, and I'm a big believer in in the idea that you do need to challenge your buyer, that you just, you know, we had customers used to tell us at one company I worked at, can't you guys just ever say yes? Um, is, it seems like it's hard to recruit that type of talent. I mean, how do you train that? I mean, because not everybody has, you know, there's certain intellectual mindset, not that they have to be smart, but I mean, there's certain curiosity that has to drive that ability to challenge, I think. I think so too, but but I also believe that to get to that, you have to liberate the leader within someone. And, and here's what I mean by that. Every one of us has the ability to ask those challenging questions, to look at things from a new perspective, uh, to be able to go toe-to-toe with our buyer and have a, a frank, candid discussion with them. What not all of us have is the the chutzpah, uh, to do that. We don't mm-hmm. all have the uh, belief in ourselves that, that we have the right to do that and that, in fact, it, it's helpful to them. And that's because we're in this subservient role of thinking that we're supposed to be the seller, the person they don't even want to talk to. So we have to be uh, very, very, oh, polite, uh, which puts us into a role of, of being submissive. Not at all the way to, to sell. That's not what buyers want, and it's not effective but if you think of yourself as a leader, mm-hmm. someone who can inspire and someone who ought to challenge and someone who needs to enable a collaboration that's going to help them to reach their goals, right? being able to liberate that kind of thinking and, and then teaching the skills of how to apply it, that's the magic. It doesn't happen when you just try to impart the skills, but people have to believe in themselves in this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a great expression from uh, Bob Turson, who you know, who's uh, another sales author that uh, many people may be familiar with, and talked about in his own career that uh, one of the key elements, he had this little triangle of success, and one of the three elements of the points of the triangle was be equal. And what he meant was is that you can't just act as if you're equal to the person you're selling to, because that's, you know, this talks about confidence, right? You know, you're not subservient, you are their equal, in fact. And so you need to be equal. So when you're talking to someone, you need to deal with them as an equal. Yes. Buyers, they tell us flat out, 
they don't want anybody pandering to them, nor do they want anybody um, kowtowing to them. They, they aren't looking for someone to uh, try to please them in a way that, that really doesn't help them. Right. No, very good stuff. Yeah, it's... it's uh, so is there a, a book coming out of this, or how do people learn more about Stop Selling and Start Leading? Yep. Well, the movement has just begun. Okay. So there are uh, many other things to come. We're speaking at Dreamforce in September, September mm-hmm. 16th. Uh, we are putting together some articles. I believe someday that, that Barry and I may put a book together about this. We've certainly talked about it. And there will be quite a bit of research. So we're just at the beginning of, of putting our ideas together for some beta testing because the Leadership Challenge has 30 years and millions of people who have participated in research that proves it's these 30 behaviors that work. Now, we can segment out sales managers. We know this is absolutely true for sales managers, too. But at the level of a frontline seller, that will be some groundbreaking new research. And so we are putting together our plans to to prove uh, what we have a pretty good theory around, but but we want to get all that evidence built up as well. Okay. Well, good. Well, maybe we'll have you back with uh, Barry Posner, and we'll talk about this in depth. All right. I'm looking forward to that. All right. So now we're going to finish up with some rapid-fire questions and answers, and you can do good one-word answers, or you can elaborate if you wish, but first one, what's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? Connections with people. Name one tool you use for sales manager, managing your own sales that you can't live without. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty low-tech in my business, but um, I would say that that's Skype, because internationally, I have used uh, Skype to coach and, and to train and to have conversations in ways that makes it a lot more flexible than anything else out there. Okay. Who's your sales role model? I'm going to go with Michael Bosworth just because he was someone who influenced me early on. Uh, he is the guy who talked about solution selling, mm-hmm. but he talked about value-based selling before that. And now he's talking about storytelling and selling, which is still part of that, that connection. Okay. What's the one book that every salesperson should read? Well, I'm going to go ahead and, and say one that's really a, a wonky read, but, but every seller ought to understand it because it's how um, organizations look at selling. And that is by the folks over at ZS Consulting, and it's called Accelerating Salesforce Performance. So knowing the mechanics of selling, that's right in there, but knowing what your company's looking for uh, is also within that book. So what's your favorite music to listen to to psych yourself up before a sales call? Uh, Classic Queen. Classic Queen. Okay, perfect. What's the first sales activity you do every day? Get organized. So what are my priorities today? What fits? What doesn't? And who am I going to talk to today? I, I, I talk to at least three people I've never talked to before every day. It's important to me to do that. What's your favorite social media tool and why? It's still Facebook. And my kids would beat me up for saying that instead of Instagram <laughs> or, or, some, or Snapchat or something else. Uh, but Facebook, just because uh, you get to know people in, in, in different ways. Okay. What do you do to take care of yourself and stay fit and healthy? Not nearly enough. Um, <laughs> But I'm, I'm going to have some, some nice vacations coming up this year, and getting that downtime is uh, taking a walk, just getting away when it, it feels overwhelming, and getting recentered. Okay. The one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople is? How did you do that? Because as I'm doing coaching demos with salespeople and using questions, uh, they, they see breakthroughs. I, I ask them, take me to the people that you just absolutely believe will never, ever buy from you. And I do some demonstration, and I prepare them to participate in those sales calls. And that's the question afterwards. I, how did you do that? I like that. All right, last question for you. 
What do you consider your greatest success outside of work? My kids. I have three fantastic kids, and they make me proud every day. They're, they're, they're good humans who uh, care about people, and that makes me proud and, and happy every single day. Oh, good. So I think one works with you, right? Or at least one does. She used to, but she uh, her field is actually animation. So she animates um, um, a TV show called The Crudes. It used to be a movie. Oh, and yeah, she's, yeah. 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 She's in her element. She's up in Vancouver, so a little ways away from home, but having the time of her life. Oh, good for her. That's great. Well, Deb, I want to thank you for being on the show today. It's been great to have you as a guest. I'll make sure to remind people to visit Deb's website at peoplefirstps.com and read her book, Discover Questions, or actually there's more than one book, Discover Questions, the series. And remember, make it a part of your day every day to learn something new to help you amp up your business. And until next time, this is Andy Paul, Good Selling. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.